Good evening. It's a, uh, it's a fun thing to put together a worship service and then to hear people say such a, a joyous call to worship uh, in seriousness as we, as we get called into worship. And as we come to a text, uh, we are confronted with all kinds of amazing things uh, in this. And so there's some, some fear that I'll admit that I have as I come of, of how to handle this text. And so feel free to pray along with me as, as we go through this, uh, this, this text. But as a little background, we are looking at uh, the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And uh, in that, we, we've kind of stopped at each of these little destinations along the way, and we're halfway through tonight. Uh, we're looking at the fourth letter to the church of Thyatira. Uh, and so as we look at this church, uh, it's helpful for us to understand a little bit of the background, the context, and, and what we know about this church. Uh, the first thing that we know is uh, that it is the smallest of all the cities that are written to, but it also is the longest letter. Uh, when we think of the size, uh, the scriptures don't really tell us, but uh, archaeologists have kind of gathered that it's about 20,000 people in size. And so if you envision Peachtree City and then you cut it in half, that's about the size in which we're looking at uh, at this city. Uh, we have only, there's only two times in which it's mentioned in scriptures, uh, this letter itself, and then also in the book of Acts with chapter 16, with a woman by the name of Lydia, and she is a, a dealer of or a, a worker in purple goods. And so uh, with that, we, we know that this is a, a place in which uh, there was a lot of industry going on. And as archaeologists have dug into that, they basically came to the understanding of one of the reasons why this was established here as a city is there was something about the water that allowed the purple dyes to hold and be an extra kind of special vibrant color there. But as they, as they did more research, they found that this wasn't just the only thing, the only industry that was done there, but this was a, a hub of different industries where they made wool, where they made linen, where they worked with metals and, and woods and stuff. But as they, as they worked on these things, they, they started forming these groups. Uh, and we would look at them today and think, okay, maybe that's similar to trade unions. But these were, were much uh, more involved than a trade union. These were trade guilds. And as you looked at these different guilds, these, these people would get together and they would work together, but they would also eat together. Uh, one of the ways in which they would eat together is in different feasts uh, as they were worshiping the different gods in which they worshiped in those day and age. And so as they would get together, they would, they would sacrifice animals. They would eat uh, these animals that they had sacrificed to. And then they would also uh, enjoy uh, with each other uh, not only fellowship, but they would in, uh, participate in, in different sexual activities with each other as part of the worship. And as we look at that, we think, wow, that, that's, that's kind of difficult uh, for us to, to understand to some degree. But on top of that, these trade guilds kind of ruled the city. And so if you were a Christian or a believer who was working there, to work outside of one of these guilds was very, very difficult. It was, it was a, a struggle for survival if all of a sudden you became a believer and you found yourself uh, not being able to participate in these things. And so that's the context. That's the, the kind of overwhelming understanding that we get of what this church was facing day in and day out, is how do we as believers survive in a world that is, is hostile to us, that, that is allowing um, 
its, its religious ideas to, to try and shape who the church is. And so with that, let me read um, from God's word. We're in Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 29. This is God's word. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, and your faith, and your service, and your patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is, lean, is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her will be thrown into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and the heart. I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, do not lay, I, I do not lay on you any other burdens, any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as myself I have received authority from my Father, and I will give to him the morning star, he who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Just to give you an idea of where we're going tonight, the, the overarching theme in which I'm hoping to communicate is that Jesus in this text wants the church to understand that when the church tolerates sin, it destroys truth and it leads to death. Let me say that again. Jesus is wanting the church to understand that when she tolerates sin, it leads, it destroys truth and leads to death. To do that, we're going to look at three main kind of ideas. Uh, the first we're going to look at is uh, that the Lord sees the church that he fights for the church is the next, and then we'll end with he encourages the church. To start, he sees the church. The thing that we need to understand is we need to be able to get a little more perspective. Just understanding the context is helpful, but as we look at this, we see the opening of this letter, and we see who it's from. We see who is the writer of this letter, and we see the words that it is from the Son of God. This should perk up our ideas a little bit, or our minds, and we start to understand, hey, uh, there's, there's something serious about this, that the Son of God, the one that we just heard about in our scripture reading, the one in which the disciples heard an audible voice from heaven saying, this is my Son, whom I well pleased, is communicating to us. He has a letter that he is writing to the church, and he's writing it even to us right now. And so there's an aspect where a lot of us, including myself, will want to put this as, a, as an older document, as something we don't necessarily want to, to put into our modern day and to try and understand ourselves. But we need to understand that, that the Son of God is writing this to His church. And when we think of His church, we need to think about how His church is His bride and how much He loves His church, how much He is striving for the peace and the purity of the church. 
and particularly how much he gave up so that his church can continue and conquer and be an amazing uh, light into this world. And so with that kind of in perspective, we need to understand as well some, some of the, if we, if we look at this, we see just looking at, at the New Testament, Old Testament, that term son of God is used numerous times. But if you look through the book of Revelation, this is the only time in which it's used. The apostle John is, is saying here, hey, uh, this is what the Lord has told me to write, and this is the only time. So it, it should make us perk up a little bit more and say, okay, clearly there's something that, that the Lord wants us to, to hear from his son in this. Clearly this is something that applies to us. And so with that, we're, we're taken to the next descriptive turn. Of now that we know that this is the son of God, the God-man, the one who, who holds the universe together, what is the first way in which he's described? And we see here that he is described as having eyes of fire. And so we, we see, okay, well, that, that's kind of a, an interesting thought. What, what exactly does that mean, that he's up there with these, with these flaming eyes? Well, we can know that this is figurative language in which he is able to see. Well, the question next is, well, what is he able to see? And the first thing we can identify as we look at this uh, letter, that he's able to see the things that are on the surface, the see, things that you and I would be able to see. If we look in verse 19, we see that he sees the good works that this church is able to put forward. He sees how they are doing amazing works of love, faith, service, patient endurance. And not only that, they're growing in them. They, they haven't stopped. They haven't, they haven't just all of a sudden hung there, but they're, they're continuing to grow in them. And Jesus is seeing it just like they could see that with each other. But he's also able to see more of their works. He's able to see these bad works. Uh, we see, as he identifies very quickly here, that this church is allowing uh, and is tolerating sin in its mix. Um, particularly, we're introduced to this woman named Jezebel. Uh, as we look at this, everyone uh, who, who is commentators and everyone would agree that this woman's name is probably not Jezebel, but this is a, a name that has been given because it comes with a lot of, 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 of uh, context and a lot of other information that comes with it. As Christians, we would look, and as we think of the name Jezebel, we're instantly brought back to the Old Testament. We think of, the, the, of 1 Kings chapter 16 when we first met this woman Jezebel, and she uh, is married to one of the kings of God's people, Ahab. And she, as soon as she marries him, the, she starts leading the people astray. Uh, she is, was not a, a follower of the Lord. And so we see this, this instant picture and in, in kind of calling into this, hey, there, there's this woman in your midst who's, who's not like the rest of you. And he even goes on even further to say, look, there's ways in which she is, she is working on a surface level that everyone can see. He says here that, you, that she has put herself in authority over God's word. She's calling herself a prophetess. She is all of a sudden leveraging her words above that of God's word and saying, hey, I, I know God's word says these things. I, I know this, but, but hey, I have a special word from the Lord. I have some information which would be helpful. We see as it continues on kind of what she's, what she's pushing at. is She's, she's pushing a, a contrary doctrine. She's, she's teaching this softening of what Scripture says. And, and she's allowed to teach for some reason in this church. And when we see this, we kind of can gather. We don't know specifically, hey, what, what is she teaching? But if we look at the, at the letter, we start to see that 
that in this doctrine that she's teaching, there's two kind of identifying things. Uh, the first is that she's teaching that it's okay for these Christians to, to intermingle in some of these trade guilds and in the, in the practices that they have. That, hey, I know that it's difficult. What we can do is we can, we, can, we can blend in with the world and you can go to these feasts and you can eat uh, the, this meat that has been sacrificed to idols, but you can also not only do that, but you can, you can, you can participate in some of the, the sexual activities that are going on there. And, and I'll even help lead you in these things, we find out later. And so there's, there's this question that comes, it's like, well, how do they think that that's right? And even if we look back at Acts chapter 15, we see that this was addressed already by the church in the first great general assembly that they addressed that there was four big things that, that were facing the church at that time, that they shouldn't eat food sacrificed to idols, they shouldn't drink blood, that they shouldn't uh, eat meat that was sacrificed, or that was meat of strangled animals, and they should abstain from sexual immorality. And so there's these clear statements that have been made by the church. They're, they're clear, and yet here she is teaching, you know what, there's, there's this way in which you can, you can get around this. You can, you can kind of skirt these things, and you can still keep your job. You can still keep all these comforts, and, and this is how you get there. And we also see as we move down into verse 24 that there's something being taught about the deep things of Satan. Uh, there is no small amount of words that have been written to try and understand what these deep things of Satan are. And while we could spend time looking at that, I think what, what the Lord is trying to communicate here is all through Scripture, we're encouraged that we are supposed to try and understand the deep things of the Lord. And what people have done and what she is leading in is trying to distract the church from looking at what really they should be discovering, what they should be looking at, what they should be growing in. And there's this idea of, look, let's, let's look to this other, to this counterfeit God. And so those are the ways in which we see on the surface that, uh, that the Lord is seeing what's going on. But if we look down to verse 20, uh, 23 and the second half, we see that's not all that the Lord sees uh, with those flaming eyes, but he sees past the surface. And he says in here, I am he who searches the mind and the heart. And so we are all of a sudden reminded that these burning eyes not only see the mind, but they see the heart. And so in the mind, we, we see that there's this, this idea that, that, she, uh, that, that the Lord is looking in and saying, okay, um, she is, she's operating in ways, the church, members of the church are operating in ways that they don't want other people to see. Or maybe there's, there's these kind of undercurrents in which they're trying to manipulate and do different things. And Jesus is saying, look, I can see into your mind. I can see into those places in which no one else can see. I can see your motives. I can see the ways in which Jezebel is working and the ways in which you're being attracted to those things instead of being attracted to me. And even more can convicting is the fact that Jesus can see into the heart. Those places in which we, we often find that there are dark places in which we don't want to be seen, but all of a sudden we're, we're shown that Jesus has eyes of fire that light up those dark places, that he can see deep into them. He can see those places in which are trying to be hid. And so with that, we can see that Jesus is clearly able to see everything. We see that, that he has, has identified the real issue in which Jezebel has with the church. And in that, we see that, that she is one that doesn't have a heart that loves the Lord. In fact, she is in the church to try and get what she can get out of it. She is trying to lead other people astray. And Jesus is saying, I, I see this. And with that, we start to understand and grasp why, 
on earth, Jesus is, is, is describing these things because he loves his church, because he sees these things that are going on, and particularly he sees their hearts, and he says, this is, this is not okay behavior for people that say they're followers of me. I want to make sure that my, my church, my bride, is being cared for. And so we can take a quick pause and say, well, how do we, how do we grasp, what does it mean to us that Jesus has these eyes, the Son of God has these eyes of fire, and that he can see not only surface level, but our minds and our hearts. Well, with this, we can understand uh, one of the things that we have to ask ourselves is, how do we view the church? Do we view the church like Christ views the church, or are we coming in with, with different motives? Are we looking at the church as a place in which we can find influence, a way in which we can get the things that we want or feel the way in which we want? Or are we looking to the Lord and saying, Lord, I want to come and be a part of your church? I think also we're, there's, a, there's a personal call here where we have to say, am I taking an honest look at my life? Am I looking at the ways in which I might be tolerating sin in my life? On a surface level, is there places in which I'm tolerating sin in my mind? Or is there a place in which there are dark spots in which I know that there are places in my heart where I will not allow my mind or my heart to be explored because, because I, I know that there's, there's darkness in there and that it hurts if I go in there. And so instead of, of, of going there and asking the Lord to expose those things, we, we keep it hidden. And so here is a call for us to be reminded that, that the Lord already sees those places and we have the freedoms in which we can come to him and we can be freed from those amazing or those terrible thoughts. So, with that in mind, we need to to carry on to our next point, which is uh, the Lord fights for His church. Uh, when we when we start to think about these eyes of fire, it'd be one thing to just say, "Well, well, Jesus knows what's going on." But we see even further in here, as we see this next descriptive term that He has feet like burnished bronze. That, that there is, there's something going on in which Jesus is communicating to the church, I'm not just going to sit back and watch my bride taken advantage of. I'm not going to sit back and just see this woman that I love taken advantage of. I'm not going to see these things tolerated anymore. I'm going to, to move forward. And when we see uh, the idea of, of bronze, one would ask, well, why, why did he choose bronze? Why is that there? And, and we would look back at, at Scripture and we'd start to see that, that bronze was, was a representation of judgment, of this idea outside of the, or in, when you look at the tabernacle, it wasn't allowed in the Holy of Holies, it was on the outside, and, and bronze represents, hey, judgment is, is here when we look at these feet, instantly we should start thinking, okay, when we think of feet, wh where are different things that, that feet are used, particularly really strong feet that could stomp on things? And, and we think of the head of the serpent. We think of, of how the, the Lord oftentimes reminds us that he'll trample on his, or trample on his, his enemies. And so there's, there's this idea of, uh, okay, he's not just seeing it, but he's preparing to crush down those that are doing wrong in his church. We see this uh, even more as we go through the letter, but I think it's worth pointing out here that, that this isn't that just Jesus is coming in and saying, okay, I, I've had enough and I'm just going to stomp on some people and just move on. But we see in verse 21 that he says that he's given this woman, Jezebel, time to repent. There's a, a, a graciousness, there's a kindness that, that our Savior has. And not only is Jezebel being called to repent, but also her children. And so there we see another picture of how Jesus is, is wanting people to, to repent and to believe in him. And so uh, we 
we can stay there, but we can also continue to move on because that's what happens in this, in this passage is he says, uh, yes, I'm giving time, but that time only is for so long. And after that time, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come in and I'm, I'm going to, to start to judge. I'm going to start to act. I'm going to start to punish these individuals that are bringing this disruption, that are bringing this, this disease into the church, and I'm, I'm going to, to start to move. And so what he says is, uh, that he's going to throw this woman Jezebel onto a sickbed, uh, that these children of hers, these followers, will be, will be killed. That, that this is so serious that he cares for his church so much that he is going to actually move in this way. We see it in other parts of the Bible, in the book of Acts, in which we see people that come in and, and claim that they've given an offering to the Lord, and, and a husband and wife separately are, are, are instantly taken, uh, they're, they're killed right before the leadership of the church. And so we, we're reminded of that's the way in which the Lord works. We're also reminded that there's a particular purpose in which the Lord is doing this, not to, to, to only uh, judge for this church, but also he wants to make an example to the, all the churches. He wants to remind them that he is ruling and he is reigning over them, that this is, this is a really serious matter in which how we approach the church. I think one thing that's particularly interesting here as, as, a, as a Presbyterian body, we look and we often think, here's our government, here's the church, here's how it protects us from these things that, that affect us. But it's, it's, I think, suspicious and I think it's, it's or maybe more interesting that there's nothing here mentioned about the leadership of the church. It's, it's void. It's this, it's this kind of glaring like, well, where is the church in this? As this tolerance has happened, where are the leaders of this church? And to that, we don't really have a good answer, but we have the great confidence that Jesus is still watching and caring for his church. And so for a few things of how to apply this to our lives, the, the first one is, uh, are we taking the purity of the church serious? Or do we just tolerate sin to, to go forth? Whether that's in relationships that we know, in conversations, uh, how, how do we... How do we handle inside of the church when there is sin? Do we, do we confront it or do we just continue on? The other thing that we can ask for and we can look from this is in, with that void of, of what, where is the leadership in it? We know that God has called leadership into our church to address sin, to particularly protect the peace and the purity of the church. And so we need to be reminded that we have officers that are, that are constantly looking to try and figure out how to, to bring peace and purity to the church. And so are we praying for them? Are we encouraging them? Are we holding them accountable for things in which they have done? And are we, are we, are we doing it ourselves? And so those are a few things that we can think in our fight against tolerating sin. And then the last thing in which we see is that Jesus is encouraging the church. We see that here that the church has given, or that Jesus has given three different things that he's identified to the church that, that are gifts that are encouraging. The first one we see in, his, in verse 25, he says, I'm giving you the ability or the ability to hold fast to what you have. 
And as we start to think of that, we, we start to kind of question, well, what does that mean, what we have? And, and as, we, as we look at the letter, we can say, okay, well, this is clearly the word of God, that, that we've been given this foundation in which we can stand upon. And we've also, as we have the foundation, we've been given this cornerstone, and the cornerstone is Christ. And so as we look at, at this judgment, as we look at this, this fearful idea of that the Lord looks into people's hearts, there comes a question that we have to ask ourselves of uh, where are we in this? Where, where is the Lord in this? And, and it would be a fearful thing to, to step back and say, well, I, you know, I'm trying really hard. I'm doing a really good job, I think, in some of these areas. But what Jesus is trying to remind his people here is that we have him, that we have the perfect lamb who came, and he's not expecting us to be perfect, but he is, he is reminding them that he is the one that saves. He is the one that has done the good work. He is the one in which can bring true forgiveness, and he can be the one that allows us to have our sins washed away and his perfect works applied, and for, for the Lord to look at us with those, with those, with those eyes of fire and see hey, this is my son in which I am well pleased. We can, we can see that. And so that's an amazing gift. But even on top of that, we've been given the Holy Spirit. We've given the ability to all of a sudden fight against sin. We see that this church not only did good works, but they grew in them. We as Christians are given the same thing where we, we, can, we can grow and we can fight against those things. And that's the next thing in which the Lord reminds us that he's given us the ability to conquer. He uses this language about the, the, the now and in the future, the already and the not yet. And there's this idea of us being joined with Jesus as he is conquering. And, and it, it brings to mind the, the idea of the, of the armor of God. And, and one of the things that we are often reminded of as we study the, word of, or the, the armor of God is that it's, it's an offensive armor. It's not defensive. It's not something that we need to constantly turn our backs to, but that we need to be on a forward charge fighting for the Lord, that, that as we fight for the church, as we fight for the Lord, that he is going to strengthen us through the power of the Spirit. He's going to give us the ability to fight against all those hard things that come. And in that, uh, we're also reminded to keep his works. Uh, in this, there's, there's some kind of, a, what, what does it mean here? Well, I do not lay on you any other burdens. Uh, what is he talking about? And if we, we look again to, to what Jezebel was, was pushing forward here, is that the, the church in, in Acts 15 has already has met. It's, it's determined, hey, here are four things that we've determined from God's word that you shouldn't participate in. You shouldn't look at this and say, okay, look, now that this has happened, let me just keep adding more things to it. Let me, let me just add more rules and regulation. That what Jesus is communicating here is, my word is sufficient. What I have given you in this book, uh, in, in this, is sufficient for what you have. And so, we see that, that there are a few things in which, as, as we come to a conclusion, that I'd like to, to, to ask you. is The first is, do you have life, new life in Christ? Are you looking to the Lord as your Savior? Or are you trying to, to figure out ways in which you can, you can kind of put to, put to rest those things that, that, that bother you? The ways in which you're conflicted with life. Are you, are you trying to do that? Or are you going to the Lord and saying, Lord, Lord, I need you. I need you every hour of my life. And then finding the forgiveness there. And then being able to move past that and, and move into the great joys of, of being able to worship the Lord because he's forgiven you, not just a little bit, but all the way that we have been justified. And in that, we're, we're even more sanctified as we move forward. And, and so we grow. And so with that, um, as, we, as we come to a close, 
uh, we need to be reminded of, of how the Lord is doing amazing things in our life, but also amazing things in the church, and he's protecting. And as, as we look around, oftentimes I think it, it's difficult for us because we, we look at our culture, uh, we look at the, the, the trajectory of, of the church throughout uh, our, our country, and we, we start to, to kind of wonder, and we start to kind of question how, how are our children, how about our grandchildren, how are they going to make it in such a dark world? What's, what's going on? And as we, as we look at that, we, uh, it is an interesting thing. In, in Thyatira, there was basically two gods in which were, were worshipped. Apollos, who is the sun god, uh, the one uh, and during the day, and then um, the, the Diana was the god of the moon, so this, this light in, in the darkness. And so there's, there's this picture of, of these people that are worshiping these false gods that are looking for some kind of light in all of the darkness, some kind of hope in which they're, they're offering all of these things to, and they're, they're trying to, to deaden all of, all of the hurts in their lives with, with food and with, with pleasure and all these things. And, and yet, there's still this, this darkness there. And as we, we come to the end of this letter, we see uh, this, this phrase here in which he says, I will give the, him the morning star. And we see the light of the gospel so clearly here because we can quickly identify that, that throughout scripture, even in our scripture reading, we saw that, that Jesus is the morning star and he has given himself for the church. And so there we, we have it. There we have the beautiful picture of the gospel, of how Jesus has given himself, uh, how he came to this world, how he poured himself out, how he, he died, and how he rose from the grave, and he ascended onto high, and he is, he is the shining light. And so as we, as we get turned around, and as we're oftentimes surrounded by the darkness, there is that morning star that we can look to, that gives us that guidance, that gives us that reminder of go back to the word, go back to the, the basics, be reminded of what the Lord is doing, and will do and is going to do. So uh, with that, let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for our morning star in which we can look to you. We can look at what you have done in our lives, what you are doing now and what you will do. And Lord, we can, we can with great confidence move forward into the next steps of life, being thankful that at any moment our lives can change but in every moment, we are still in your hand. So, Lord, we pray that as we come to your table, that you would protect us, that you would remind us of your goodness and your faithfulness. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.